Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You, as a real estate investor, must heighten the experience your buyer or your renter has with their five senses to the state of subliminal euphoria. Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal best ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes a free service. Here comes a free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714 I interviewed her about her best ever advice, talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business, whether you got 500 units or even a handful of units, go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. They're going to give you a free 30-minute goal strategy session. They'll give you free setup and the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled, by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. Mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, Frank McKinney. How you doing, my friend? Coming to you today from my treehouse office, Joe, overlooking the Atlantic Ocean in Delray Beach, Florida. Well, that is a phenomenal perspective. I am coming from, let's see, a two-story house in Cincinnati, Ohio, looking over a suburban neighborhood street. 
<laughs> hey, listen, I'm a Midwesterner for, at heart. I'm from a little town in Indiana called Carmel, Indiana. So it's a long way from the cornfield to the treehouse. <laughs> well, a little bit about Frank, then we'll dive in and he'll give us more detail. He is a real estate artist and he's going to talk about what that is. He is a five times best-selling author and he built an oceanfront spec house valued in the tens of millions of dollars, which shattered records and shatters records on each new project. He just completed his new project, a micro mansion, which seems like an oxymoron. We'll have to learn more about that. And he started with a $50,000 fixer upper home and climbed all the way to a $50 million oceanfront mansion. So holy cow, we got a lot to talk about, a lot to learn from about you. So with that being said, Frank, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? So coming from Indiana with 1.8 grade point average, having exited my fourth high school in four years with a GPA of 1.8, I got a one-way plane ticket out of little Indiana, landed in South Florida in Palm Beach many years ago in pursuit of my professional highest calling. And this is back in the day of Robin Leach's lifestyles of the rich and famous, probably before your time and many of your listeners, kind of like MTV Cribs would be nowadays, right? You get a look inside the lifestyle of the rich and famous. And in South Florida, there were people living it. I was young. I was impressionable. And I learned I was a maintenance worker. Then I was a tennis pro. And on the tennis court, teaching tennis pro, not a touring tennis pro, as a teaching tennis pro, I learned from most of my students that their claim to riches and fame and fortune wasn't through their nine to five. It was taking the money they had left over after paying bills, after using their discretionary income to live on and investing it in real estate. And this was before there was any podcast, the word podcast didn't exist. <laughs> there was no, no money down program. I mean, this was just learning from people on the tennis court as I taught them to hit a better forehand or backhand. How did you get to live this lifestyle? And the answer I heard over and over again was real estate. I followed their advice. I bought my first fixer-upper almost 30 years ago, flipped it. This is back before there was flip shows or anything, and I made $7,000. Fast forward to today, we build oceanfront spec homes, which are big, very beautiful homes built on the ocean in Palm Beach on speculation. So I'm without a buyer in mind. I'm a real estate investor still. We've done 42 of them since 1992 with the average selling price of $14.4 million in 56 days on market. So whether it's best ever advice or not, I am a real estate investor. I make my money at real estate investing as a real estate artist, and I love the business. You're in the right business. You're listening to this podcast. You gave us so much to talk about. Let's start with the term real estate artist. What does that mean? This would be considered some of the best real estate advice I could give you. In the business of real estate, you can classify yourself a flipper, a wholesaler, a retailer, a short seller a contractor, into storage units, on and on. There's a ton of way to make money in real estate. From that very first crack house that I did 30 years ago, I looked at that little 620-square-foot, two-bedroom, one-bath house as a dilapidated piece of art that I didn't cut corners on, that I replaced the roof, that I put $20 yard carpet in instead of 10, that I put three coats of paint on instead of two. I made it the nicest little crack house in the block. Well, it wasn't a crack house when I got done. It was a beautiful <laughs> house. And you know what? I've taken that approach to now some of the most beautiful homes. If you go to my website, frank-mckinney.com, you'll see some of the most beautiful homes ever created. Three-dimensional art, really, Joe, on a mm -hmm. sun-drenched canvas known as the Atlantic Ocean. So my advice to your real estate investor, buy and hold people, buy, add value, and sell people. 
anybody in this business, take an artist approach. And what that really means is if you were an artist and you went to a paint store to buy paint to paint a beautiful painting like Van Gogh, Renoir, Monet, would you cut corners on the paint that you bought? Would you buy the cheapest canvas, the cheapest brush? No, you'd have passion for what you did. And I tell you, it served my brand extremely well taking that artist approach. I suspect, although you let me know, that the higher end you go, the more you'll be compensated for being taking the artist approach versus on your $50,000 house, you made $7,000, but you did three coats of paint instead of two, etc. Is that one of the reasons why you continue to go up in price point and luxury because you get compensated or rewarded better for taking that artistic approach? There's more zeros in your profit, but there's not more percentage margin. Okay. So I would push back to anybody who said, uh-oh, it's, it's a bottom line driven business. It's a commodity driven business. It's how much can flow through to my bottom line. For the first five years of my career, Joe, I didn't do a house worth more than a hundred grand. I did hundreds of them and I did them really well. My margins increased from $7,000 on the first deal to where we were making 25 grand on a $100,000 sale. That's a really good margin. That's a 25% return. So if I build a $10 million house, I'm still basically making that same return, $2.5 million, but it's a couple more zeros. I implore you or I encourage you as a real estate investor to take that artist approach from the very beginning. When I realized I got good at the craft of real estate, you know, it's Malcolm Gladwell in his book blink that says to be an expert in anything in life, you've got to put in 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours is five years full time. And I look back at my career for the first five years, I didn't do a house worth more than 100 grand. Guess what? I got good at the craft of real estate. So it was a natural progression. It wasn't even any anxiety or fear. I just moved up the price point. As a matter of fact, I jumped from a $100,000 house to a $2.2 million house. There was nothing in between. And since that $2.2 million house, as I said, we've done 42 of them with an average selling price of $14 million. So it's not for everybody, Joe, as far as taking the artist approach. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I can't draw a stick figure. I can't mold clay. But we're all in this three-dimensional art business called housing. And I encourage you to take that approach. And I want to throw out an example just to make a distinction because I think you'll agree with this, but I'm not sure. So I want to give you the example and hear what you have to say. So the problem could be that someone hears this and they're like, okay, I'm going to put gold-plated doorknobs on my $40,000 fix and flip. But that's not what you're saying, right? No, let me reclassify and assume that nobody listening is called an idiot, that they wouldn't do something like that. <laughs> I, li- I like to use extreme examples just to make a point, though. <laughs> No, I understand. You're making a very valid point, and this is what I probably should have said first. I'm a real estate artist, but what none of us want to be is a starving artist. Of course, real artists that are out there, starving artists with their kind of the angst, and they have their hair in that little hat, and they're kind of living in Seattle or whatever, right? Starving artists. No, I'm a businessman first, Joe. Believe me, I have a formula. Let's get away from the artistry and let's go to the formula that is is also, I wouldn't say best real estate advice, but good real estate advice. My formula is very simple. Acquisition basis, what it costs to buy the opportunity, plus improvement basis, what it costs to fix it up or build it, in my case, because I do a lot of from the ground up, should never equal more than 65% of retail. Let's use a $100,000 example. Acquisition could be sixty grand. Fix up could be five grand. 
you put it on the market for 100 grand, you got some negotiation, you got some closing costs, you got some over budget, whatever, you run a little over budget, and you end up selling it for 90 grand, you got 65 in it, there's your $25,000 margin. Mm-hmm. So, so please, yeah, but to get there, Joe, that same $100,000 example, in my early days, I wouldn't ask 100,000, I would ask 105. I always made a new high in a market. That's why we sold the most expensive spec house in the history of Palm Beach County. I sold a spec house in 2006 for $50 million. That was unheard of. So I am an advocate for, now, this is my approach, and that's me, everybody. There are some that say, buy low, sell low. That's not me. I buy low, and I sell extremely high because of, I'm not able to, Joe, because I take that artist approach by putting a little bit more money, and guess who that satisfies? Two very important people. One, the buyers, of course. Two, the appraisers. The appraisers come in, and my house is in a $100,000 neighborhood. My houses would appraise at one hundred five, mm. And that extra $5,000 meant a whole lot. Now, in that case, it's 5%. If I'm building a $10 million house, that's another half a million in my pocket because I've taken that approach for almost 30 years. What are some ways that, and you can use the examples of the $100,000 or the $50 million, whichever one is fresh in your mind the most. What are some ways that you take it above and beyond so that you are reaching the market highs? Okay, I know we only have 20 minutes. So what I'd like to do is give the macro answer, and I'll send you to my book, Burst, this, for 165 pages of, of a lot. That's 165 pages out of 400 for the micro answer. The macro answer is, Joe, and this is the best real estate advice ever. Let me ask you the question. I have a whole lead-up music and everything. So, Frank, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? (laughs) Okay. You, as a real estate investor, must heighten the experience your buyer or your renter has with their five senses to the state of subliminal euphoria. I'm going to repeat that. Heighten the experience your buyer or renter has with their five senses, sight, sound, smell, touch, and taste, to the state of subliminal euphoria. They become intoxicated with the experience they have when they walk in the front door of your house. I wish we had more than 20 minutes. I could go into a bunch of examples, but I touch on sight when they walk up the driveway to a, this micro mansion I just finished at three and a half million. Sound, sound underwater. Sound of the waves crashing on a nice day. I turn the music off. Sound coming from a room you can't see where the speakers are because they're behind the drywall. Touch. I make you kick your shoes off when you walk in the bedroom because there's a $180 yard carpet in there imported from Holland that you don't need a mattress to sleep in that room. I want you to feel that because the bottom of your feet are the most sensitive parts of your body when it comes to the receptors. Taste. Maybe in the $100,000 days, it was Doritos and Mountain Dew. I had <laughs> something there for you to eat. Now it's caviar and wine and chocolates and that kind of stuff. Sight, sounds, smells, smells, of course smells. Back in the day, it was cookies in the oven at 125 degrees instead of 425. So you smell the cookies. Now you can buy scents online. Lavender is the scent that evokes people into a buying or I assume a renting mood. So think about those five senses and go to my first this book and I enumerate all the things that I do to touch the five senses to cause for somebody to pay top dollar for my properties. Very helpful. And even though you said you were going to give specifics, you did give some specifics. So appreciate that. Let's talk about that $50 million spec house that you sold at a new market high, specifically with that example, because we do have time to go into a case study. Tell us about that one and how you were able to take it to the new high. 
Do you mind if I talk about this micro mansion in that context? Because yeah, it's sure. fifty million dollars. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's very current. Just finished yeah, it a it. month ago. So I've seen this tectonic shift in the ultra wealthy buyers' preferences. They, I have built bedrooms bigger than the house I just finished, and that is a truth. I built a twenty one hundred square foot bedroom. The house I just finished was four thousand eighty seven square feet, so thirteen square feet smaller than a bedroom I built. So you have buyers with more houses and more places, and they're staying in them less time, and they're using less of them. So we took the, the opulence, the grandeur, the artistry, the beauty, and shrunk it into a much smaller house. So when you walk up my driveway, the first thing you'll see is a white porcelain driveway, white porcelain, beautiful porcelain driveway. You're coming from Chicago. You're coming from Ohio. You're coming from New York. You're going to see beautiful, lush, tropical foliage with coconuts hanging off the coconut trees. You walk by the front door. There's three pools here. There's a pool for your newborn or somebody who doesn't know how to swim. There's a lap pool. And there's, there's a four-foot-deep pool. You walk in the front door. I have kitchen countertops, Joe, that are the only countertops in the country made out of sea glass. So if you were on the beach and you picked up a piece of sea glass the size of your fingernail, well, I've got thousands of those that were melted down, put into a mold, and made it to, you go to my website, you can take a tour of the house. We just posted it. Beautiful sea glass kitchen countertops. There's a sun deck floating between two pools. When you walk in the door, of course, you're going to smell that beautiful lavender. Your senses are heightened to that point where right by my front door, and all my house, when I build them, I have a contract with everything filled in but the buyer's name. I put the full price in there because I assume that's what they're going to pay. This is a very important lesson. Why? Because once you've intoxicated your buyer or renter with their five senses, what happens, Joe, is the impulse window opens. They're buying on impulse. There is a need for most people. They need shelter, but it's turning that need to want, and in my case, desire, that once you've done that, you've got to close them. And that's why I have a contract by the front door. I love that approach. Every best ever listener who's a real estate agent is writing that down right now. I can hear them scribbling on their notepad. Well, if you are an agent, and again, my book, Burst This, Remax, Century 21, makes the marketing chapter, because it's more for investors, but the marketing chapter required reading. It is the longest section in the book. You can overpay. Now here, let's talk to the investor. You can overpay for the opportunity. You can overimprove. Say your 65% is up to 75%. But if you know how to market, you can make up for a lot of sin. You can make up for a lot of mistakes. And I give all the tours of my house. I list them. I believe in brokers. I have the same broker for 15 years. But I want you to have an experience when you come through here or any of my houses. So read and absorb the 165 marketing initiatives that I touch on a weekly basis. As far as the micro mansion goes, what's the square footage of that one? And is it just one or is it multiple micro mansions that you built? One is a prototype. I just finished, so it's like a Tesla rolling off the assembly line for the first time, or an iPhone 1, right? There was a prototype at some point. So the one I just finished is 4,087 square feet, and I went to school on it. I went to school, and the people have walked through here as buyers, million-dollar real estate brokers, even media that have come through the house. There's 22 different feature articles. You go to my website, you can read about what people said about the micromansion. I've absorbed all that, digested it, and we have designed and are building another one, this one, not three and a half million, but this one will be 20 to 30 million, but only 800 square feet. So you do the math, that's almost $6,000, five to $6,000 per square foot. Nobody's getting that. There's a couple of condos in Miami that are scratching 3,000, maybe 4,000 a square foot, but it's not the money. 
Why isn't the issue with these people? It's the finishes, the artistry, the grandeur, the opulence in a smaller package. So I went to, the short answer is I went to school on the first one, and we're breaking ground on the second one, probably by the time this podcast is playing. A high-end property that you've built that was on the market the longest. What was the reason why it was on the market longer than the average compared to your other ones? One reason I'm going to give you is my fault. The other is the market's fault. And I'm not one to lay blame anywhere else. But when our market crashed in South Florida in 2010-ish and hit the bottom, we lost 35% of our oceanfront values. It was catastrophic. So that property that I finished at the time was on the market for 14 months, right in the heart and the heat of that meltdown. So that didn't help. B, I did get carried away with the artistry. I put in a glass water floor. When you walked in the front door of the house, you were walking on water. It was 20 feet by 30 feet, so 600 square foot foyer, where you were walking on glass one laminate below bulletproof, thicker than what you would have at your drive-through teller line when you're looking and paying your money in the bank at the teller line. That 18 inches of water, lotus hand-painted garden motif on the bottom, bubbles running through it, fish down there. It was <laughs> insane. Now, it was cool, but I'm not building a museum. I'm not at the Smithsonian building some attraction. This is a house where people have to live. And there are a number of people who look at my houses, Joe, that are a little older than you and me. They might be in their 60s or 70s. And I saw them walk across this glass floor, and they got vertigo. They got dizzy. I mean, not, not everybody's used to walking on water. There was no depth perception. So there were certain things that I did in there that I did get a little carried away. I learned and toned down. Mm. So with the properties that you've bought and then sold as a developer, do you then invest those dollars into your own real estate portfolio? Here's my approach. I am not a buy and hold guy. I am a buy and value and sell guy. I have nothing against the buy and hold person. So here's the advice I got. And it was funny. So my dad, he wasn't even in real estate. He was a banker. When I got into real estate, and I would say this is good real estate advice, maybe not the best, but it's applicable. He said, look, you don't know what you're going to do in real estate. I was in my early 20s. He said, you know what? Make a little money and then decide. I'm going to use my words, not his. Then decide if you want to be a wholesaler, a buy and holder, a flipper, a bank REO person, a contractor. But you know what? You need a little money to decide. So he said, son, enter the cash accumulation stage. Just buy a piece of property like you're finding, sell it, make that $7,000, Turn a few until you get to a hundred grand and then decide what you want to do. Buy and hold, what have you. And you know what, Joe? I never left the cash accumulation stage. I never left. So I still continue to do what I was doing with those $50,000 houses. I renovate, sell. And so when I do a project, I'm not a big fan of a lot of debt. And this is good real estate advice too. Debt is a four letter word, folks. Look at what happened to Greece. Look what happened to Italy. I mean, it took down whole countries. Almost took down our country, too, when the real estate market crashed came. So be careful of the debt, the four-letter word. No, it's a four-letter word. I, Joe, I don't over-leverage. I do put a lot of my own money into the project, depending on how cheaply I can borrow money. I mean, if you're borrowing at prime now, you're basically borrowing at free, right, at 2%, whatever it is. Now, that's responsible debt. But you get into hard money loans, and you get up towards a 12%, 15%, three points. Watch out if you're not able to turn the property. On a typical project, what type of leverage do you have on it? I tend to not go over, let's use the $100,000 property as an example. I don't want to be more than 60 to 65% leverage. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. 
Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day tasks? Well, there's a better way, best ever listener, and guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue, and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30-minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellin.com forward slash show. That's dwellynn.com forward slash show. Best ever book you've read. Okay. Best ever book I read is going to be part of your best real estate advice from a marketing perspective by and absorb Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That's the book that started <laughs> Willy Wonka. No, seriously. That guy, what he did to drive the desire to buy his chocolate, think of that as your real estate. Eccentricity, exclusivity, marketing genius. It is the best marketing book I've ever read. Charlie and Chocolate Factory. You can read it in two hours. Bravo. I love this approach. Thank you for sharing that. One of my favorite responses, perhaps my favorite response to that question. Best ever deal you've done or built? Probably flipping a piece of land that I planned to build. We're going to be the first to build a nine-figure spec house, $135 million. I spent a year in Italy, 72,000 square feet. I had my heart set on it, Joe, and I had somebody drive up and offer me $10 million more just for the dirt, and I paid for it. And I wasn't going to do it. I went and sought counsel from an 85-year-old advisor of mine that's still living today. And he advised me to take the bird in the hand. And that was the best advice I had gotten because if had I not and listened to my ego and wanted to get to nine figures, I would have been doing that during the housing crash. And I would have been talking to you from a dumpster today. <laughs> I would have been bankrupt. So that was my best deal ever. A listening to reason. And then the profit, obviously, was a great flip. But I'm most proud of kind of listening to good advice. What's a mistake you've made on a deal or particular transaction you can think of? Being too greedy. So the opposite of what I just referenced, my very first Oceanfront project, remember I was up to $100,000. I was making twenty-five grand. I jumped to $2.2 million. I had $1 million into that deal. I put it on the market for two point two. I got a $1.8 million offer. And within two weeks, I got that offer. I thought, oh, God, I mean, I'll get full price. I thought I can walk on water. That was an $800,000 profit I walked away from. Long story short, the market crashed, minor crash. I ended up selling that property for $1.3 million seven months later. So foolish. 1.8 grade point average came back to hit me in the head like a baseball bat. Greedy, (laughs) dumb, and I never swung for the fences again, Joe. I'm happy to take a single and move on. What's the best ever way you like to give back? You say that for last. That's what my life's all about now is our Caring House Project Foundation. We built self-sufficient villages in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere in Haiti. I've built 24 villages in 21 cities in 14 years. I'm transitioning eventually out of the real estate business. I've been over in Haiti, as I said, those 14 years. We've provided 10,616 desperately poor children and their families with housing, schooling, community centers, clinic work, doctors, renewable food, clean drinking water, please, if you do nothing else, go to my website, frank-mckinney.com, 
click on the Caring Health Project link. That takes up half of my time is running our charity, building these self-sufficient villages. Listen, regardless of if you're religious or not, or if you even have a preference, there's a great life mantra that happens to be a biblical passage that goes as such. Luke 12:48. look it up in the Bible. To whom much is entrusted, much is expected. I was entrusted with a lot, especially on the professional highest calling side. Each one of you listening to this podcast has a professional highest calling, but what's your spiritual highest calling? And fortunately for me, I was able to put them together. Dovetailing my professional highest calling, building houses for the rich, and build a bunch of smaller houses in Haiti for the poor. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you or your company? I don't know if they want to get in touch with me. I mean, I try to answer every bit of email and stuff I get. But the best thing to do, if you want to be entertained and educated, is just go to frank-mckinney.com. Go there. You can take tours of the houses I referenced, the micromansion, the $50 million house. You can read chapters. I've got five books and four genres. You can read those. You can see what our caring house is doing in Haiti right now, building our 24th village, frank-mckinney.com. Frank, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for talking about your experience in evolution as a real estate artist, why you call yourself a real estate artist, and the approach that you take, which is seen throughout all the projects that you do, the macro level answer that you had on how to sell your property at the highest relative to the market, and that is to, and I'm going to paraphrase, to heighten the experience of the five senses to subliminal euphoria. And you talk through some specific ways of doing that. You have that in your book as well. And then also talking about the formulas that you use, the 25% margin being the goal, as well as acquisition basis plus improvement basis should never equal more than 65% of retail. So Frank, thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. Really enjoyed it. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's dwellyn.com forward slash show.